0: to be back here. It's been a while. And uh, as Jeff said, we've been friends for quite a long time and um, very, very excited to be with you this morning, be with the leaders this afternoon. Um, I, will, I don't have time to tell you stories about the exploits that Jeff and I have done, but I will tell you one real quick one. So we recently, in the last four weeks, have um, had a Ghanaian couple come to our church from Ghana. They've been in in Middle Tennessee for a while, but their roots are Ghana, and so (laughs) we had dinner with them the other night, and when I told them that a colleague of mine and I, the colleague being your pastor, Jeff, and I did a series of worship conferences in Ghana, their eyes lit up like Christmas trees. You know, there was a connection, and I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we even wrote a little song about our experience and they were on the edge of their seat. Really? I said, yeah. And the first line went something like this. We got Sasi and Komasi. And so that's one of the cities there, Kamasi and Accra and Takarati. The second line was, got the trots and Takarati. But I left it there. Uh, and we just had a great, great laugh, this new couple at our church from Ghana, remembering uh, an exploit one of many that your pastor and I have been on over the last many, many years. Now, that probably has no relevance to you, but for me... <laughs> at this stage, you know, as I'm getting older in life, that's what happens to us. You know, senility starts creeping in. You begin to start thinking about the old stories, right? And you get long on the tooth. Well, I don't want to get long on the tooth this morning, and there's my… Oh, good. I do have a clock. Thanks. Um, I have so enjoyed… My wife and I, uh, Nancy and I, have had such dear friendship with with um, Jeff and Zibby, and then to have Bob and Sharon Yarborough here this morning. What a treat. My goodness. So, our roots go back to so many wonderful times together, conferences together, prayer times together, ministry together. Uh, just feel like, um, like my heart's tied with these folks, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy. And as Jeff said, we're a part of this, this new fellowship of churches. It's something that your pastor and I and another pastor in Ohio, Joe Del Torrio, another pastor in Detroit, Michigan, the four of us, there are more churches in Messenger, but the four of us felt uh, about a year, year and a half ago that we were to actually constitute a fellowship of churches, so they laid hands over us, the four of us, and we committed ourselves to do life together. That, that's, that's a lot of why I wanted to come and just hang with you guys today, is just be a part of your life and to do life with you, even if we just have these few hours. And I know that prayer is something that... Um, do you go by Pastor Jeff or Jeff? I want to be... Jeff's fine. Jeff's fine. Okay, protocol is important. Um, so Jeff and I talking about the 2020 project that you are doing this this year uh, and focusing on prayer. And so we thought it would be really cool if I could just um, offer you some reflections on prayer. And that's really what this is, um, just just little, um, little reflections I'm going to throw out to you. So it's not a systemized teaching so much, it's just little things that you might grab this one, might grab them, that one at one point might bore you, but the next one might not. So, <laughs> so um, at the end, there'll probably be, you know, five or six little little snippets of reflection that I trust will encourage you to pray. You know, I find in my life that a lot of people, when you start talking about prayer, kind of go a little cold on you because for so long we associate, we have associated prayer with duty, Uh, sometimes it's even associated with shame because we are reminded what we haven't done and every good Christian has to pray and if you haven't prayed, you're not a good Christian. I gotta tell you, um, uh, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, I've always been committed to prayer, but I, st- I found my, myself in a journey, thinking, yeah, I'm, I get prayer, but I'm not so sure about, about the whole prayer thing. I'm, I'm don't, I wasn't, you know, kind of abandoning the faith at all, I was just questioning, questioning prayer and the, the uh, effectiveness of it, and why do we pray, and, you know, just kind of going through my own journey. And about a year, a year ago, so about three years later, I, I have rediscovered prayer, but in a whole new way. And that's what I want to pass, pass on to you. So I want to look at that passage that we read earlier, just one little brief part of that Luke 11 passage and start there. Now Jesus was praying at a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, or as the Matthew version says, Our Father, who art in heaven. Luke omits that and just goes to, hallowed be your name. Now, the thing I want you to see here, first off, is that prayer is desirable. I mean, it must have been desirable. Here's Jesus praying. You know, Jesus never set out to teach His disciples to pray. He waited for them to develop hunger. He just let them watch. You know, prayer, teaching people to pray was not on, on Christ's uh, discipleship list. He knew what he wanted to teach, but prayer didn't seem to be one of those things that he really focused on until this desire was expressed by his disciples. Now, you know, when you see the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, yes, he's teaching on prayer, but that was like a compendium of so much of what he taught over his entire ministry that Matthew kind of puts it all together in this sermon that we have. But but the actual moment of prayer teaching came when the disciples asked for it, which tells me something that prayer must be pretty attractive. I mean, here's Jesus praying, and they're saying, hey, would you teach us to pray? We want that. We want to know how to pray. It's like when I was a kid, you know, 15, and I wanted to learn how to drive. And I went to my dad. I really want to learn how to drive. And then later in school, I really want to learn how to drive. Now, why, why did I want to learn how to drive? Because I knew that driving a car was really cool. I knew that learning to drive a car meant I was going to get some freedom. It meant that I would be able to go with my friends' places that my parents didn't have to hang along, right? It meant also that it sort of gave me an expanded sense of identity. So freedom, the cool factor, the hang with friends factor. Learning how to drive was really a cool thing for me, and you know, most of us, right? Well, I think there's something about this is happening here. Jesus, teach us how to pray. We want that. Probably for the same kinds of reasons. Why do we want anything? Probably because we see in that something freedom. We see in that something an opportunity to really land some of our identity. Who would think that prayer is actually desirous? That prayer is attractive? That prayer To understand prayer from Christ's point of view is to understand freedom. It is to understand uh, uh, one way that the Lord settles and lands us into our identity. We've associated with prayer so much with religious duty that, honestly, our appetite for prayer has waned. My first point here is that if the disciples at the tail end of Jesus' prayer, he just had finished, and they said, okay, Jesus, we've hung with you all these years. Now, we want to know how to do that. Teach us. It must mean that prayer is really, really cool. And it must mean that to pray will resonate with some of your deepest longings. And I think some of those deepest longings are an inner sense of freedom, greater freedom, and a greater sense of landed identity. When we pray, we kind of, yeah, I am a child of God. You don't pray to earn that. But in prayer, you do experience a greater sense of that landing. Yeah, I am a child of God. So I want to first say, prayer is desirable. So Jesus is creating hunger in His followers. It tells me that prayer must have been highly desirable. It also tells me that Jesus meant for a lot of our prayer to be done in groups. So when he teaches the Our Father, Our Father is the Our Father, not the My Father. Now, there's times for My Father, but the Our Father is really important. I think sometimes we have so privatized prayer, made it such an individual thing, that we again over time lose appetite. And Jesus meant for a lot of our prayer to be in groups because that's part of what sustains our appetite to pray. When I'm praying with other people, I get excited about praying by myself. When I'm just praying by myself, I start kind of losing some energy to keep praying by myself. It's actually praying together that is so important. I think that prayer, or this particular prayer, the Our Father, which is a template of prayer, but a foundational core of our prayer, I think that prayer is meant for the entire Jesus community to engage in. That's what you're doing this year. You're engaging as a community. And there's something very powerful about that. So the model of prayer that Jesus taught us was group fellowship with God. For the prayer model Jesus gave His disciples, I think it's the foundation of all prayer. There's all kinds of prayer, supplication prayer, declarative prayer, um, intercessory prayer. But this prayer, the Our Father who is in heaven, is meant to be the group prayer, the foundation of all prayer that Jesus gave us. And notice that the prayer is offered throughout the sense of you praying the Our Father. You, you're not sensing that you're declaring things or pushing things or moving God's hand there are places for that Acts chapter 4 there was a real moving of God in response to the believer's prayer but, but the Our Father prayer the foundation of all prayer is offered if we were put in our words maybe the, maybe the Luke version of the Our Father would, would sound something like this you are our Father we worship and thank you you are working in our lives now, and we are assured that you will one day establish your will everywhere. Here's our needs. Here's our sins. We will forgive those who hurt or offend us. Give us strength when life gets rough. Amen. There you go. It's pretty simple. And in a group, that becomes dynamic. Even, look, even the part that says, your kingdom come, your will be done, is in the Aorist tense, meaning that it's, it's something that we are looking to its arrival not stressing the process of getting there. When we're saying, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come, it's not so much the sense of, Lord, we are asking for your kingdom to come here, and now we, we, we are, but we're more just ready for its arrival. We're in a receptive mode. Your kingdom is coming, not, uh, Lord, your Kingdom's not going to come if I don't pray. A lot of times we don't pray because there's a slight performanceism that gets in our prayer. Okay, well, I'm, well, we better pray the kingdom's not going to come. Listen, this prayer, you can relax into the grip of God. This prayer is meant to be simply an offering to the Lord, declaring what is real and true. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming, and it will yet come in fulfillment, and all we need to do is receive that. In fact, this whole prayer is about receiving. It's about it, it's about receiving the life that we have in the Holy Spirit rather than about pushing ourselves for breakthrough. Or, now, I, I, I like words like pursuing God. Um, you know, way back in the day, in the renewal days, maybe 15, 20 years ago, the phrase God chaser was really in the vocabulary. I'm gonna, I am chasing God. Well, that's great, and I'm all for that, we have a worship prayer night once a month in our fellowship. We call it pursuit night. So I get it. But, but, but if that's your primary picture of prayer, I'm pursuing, you know, I gotta, I've got to catch God because God's there, and if I don't catch, if I don't pray, if we don't worship, we're not going to experience God's presence. If we don't have faith, we're not going to have healing. If we don't pray, then we're not going to get our, our, our brownie points in heaven. You know, we have this transactional view of God, this cause and effect thing with God, if we, then He. There's nothing in this prayer that smacks of that, and that's what's so cool about this being the foundation of prayer. We just simply receive. We're not stressed by feeling that our prayer activates anything. Now, please hear me. I totally am on board with the fact, as, as Jeff said, that when we don't pray, things don't happen. I'm totally on board that there's a place in our intimacy with God where we intercede and God puts things on our hearts and we pray and we see breakthroughs, all for that. I'm just saying here at the foundation of prayer, there's a culture of receiving, a culture of receptivity rather than a culture of pursuit that is the foundation of prayer that actually keeps our hearts rekindled and impassioned for prayer. If prayer is seen as something I do to get God to do, we will burn out because nobody is designed to live under that kind of performance. Prayer is not the evidence of maturity. It is the promise of intimacy. A lot of times we think, well, prayer is for those, you know, super saints. Listen, prayer at its simplest is just childlike intimacy with the Lord. This whole idea of receiving, actually, when we start with our Father who is in heaven, this whole idea of receiving really, for me, um, focuses on the wonderful truth of our weakness because we don't receive or we don't have the attitude of receiving unless we really are in conversation with our own sense of need and acknowledge our need. And this opens up, this opens up a whole cool thing because when you call God Father, He is releasing you into a life of receiving and freeing you from a life of Striving. The whole idea of God as Father really underscores this complete and total dependence on the Lord. People say, well, I'm really trying to depend on the Lord. You are? Yeah, I'm really trying. I said, well, stop. I'm really trying to trust the Lord. I said, well, stop. Don't try to trust the Lord. That's the whole point. You are trying to trust you are trying to depend. The whole, the whole idea of being weak and being in a receptive posture is that you cannot trust and you cannot depend. You have to depend on God to help you to depend. Trust in God to enable you to trust. God, I can't trust you, so I'm going to trust you to help me trust you. See, that's real trust. That's a, that's a posture of dependence. So, our Father is like this ultimate picture of receiving. Everything about being fathered is about receiving. Did you choose your father? No. Were you able to make your father do things? No. Well, maybe, mostly no, unless you were a highly manipulative kid. Uh, were you totally dependent on your father? Yes. The very idea of father means that we receive everything that we need. It, our father, for me, the our father right at the beginning shifts me into a mindset of receiving and celebrating my weakness. All right. Now, if we have this sort of transactional view of God, you know, if we do, then He will. I'm not saying that there aren't, that there aren't um, results when we pray, I, but, but I just am guarding us against the kind of performance sort of thing that creeps into prayer that actually turns people off to prayer, makes them feel like they can't pray, makes them feel like, I've been prayed the last three days, so why start now? Yeah, prayer is none of that. Prayer, prayer is, as we'll see in just a moment, prayer is entering into the very life communion of God. So I'll t- talk about that here in my next point. I, I just want to m- m- camp on, this, on this, um, this weakness thing a little bit, a little bit more. Um, trying to be weak, trying to be helpless, I tell you, I, I, I tell you where it really landed for me a little while ago. Um, you probably know all this. Uh, this. There are some things in my life that I got early, some things I'm getting late. I wish I would have gotten earlier, and this is one of those things. You know, how, how, does, how, how does the power of sin get broken? You know, the old hymn, the Wesley hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin, so he's canceled our sin, but how is the power of sin broken? Well, the power of sin was broken the moment you admitted 100% weakness and Christ's 100% sufficiency. That's in your narrative now. That's in your story. Now, you may be struggling now, but at least one time, if you're a Jesus follower, there's one time, one time at least, that you confessed, that you admitted, that you acknowledged 100% weakness. That's the point where the power of sin was severed, right there, because in 100% helplessness and dependency of 100% on Christ, at that point, the power of sin was broken. Now, we can go back to old mindsets. I get that. But actually, you, you walk in that power by walking in your helplessness. You walk in that power by walking in your weakness. That's why the cross, Jeff and I were talking about this last night, that's why the cross is so unbelievably fantastic and why Paul finally got it and lived his life out of that cross reality because he knew that he had been crucified hopefully we'll come to that in a second crucified Galatians 2:20 and raised Colossians 3 with Christ that he wasn't trying to die And trying to rise, that it was something one and done. I am crucified, and in that place that I'm crucified, I'm also raised with Christ. So every time I admit my 100% weakness, I am at that point raised with Christ because His Holy Spirit within me becomes that, Philippians 2, that which motivates me. He's in me to will and to do of His good pleasure. How can the Holy Spirit will something in you unless you fully Express your weakness. He can't do the willing unless I'm totally, totally weak. There's a release that comes as we, you know, as we uh, walk in this place of weakness, walk in the place of the cross. Walk in the place that Paul understood in 2 Corinthians chapter twelve. Ah, I get it now. When I'm weak, then I am strong. Why? Because at the point of weakness, you are. That's where you started. That's where the power of sin was broken. That's where that point of that, that 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 point of the first beatitude. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Right there from the get-go. The first thing we do. Just yep. I can't. You can. We live in such a culture of self-reliance here in America yep. that to actually discover the cross in this way, that the cross is not just the source of our redemption, the cross is our way of life, and it's the way of life because it frees us to walk in weakness, but in that place, we are walking in the fullness of the strength of God. All right. Um, Isaiah 40, 31. we talking about receiving. Let me just uh, keep going a little bit. Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now, you know, the picture of mounting up, you've heard this, I'm sure, many times, the picture of mounting up with wings as eagles suggests that, that the waiting was more about positioning, expecting, but not forcing. We think, okay, I'm really trying to wait on the Lord, um, the, reason, the, the reason why the prophet mounted up was not because he got his answers. Yeah. I'm waiting for the answers, God. Waiting for the solutions. I'm waiting for the payoff. I'm praying. I'm waiting, but I'm waiting for the results. One of the reasons we burn out on prayer is because we see prayer related to results rather than just enjoying the prayer and in intimacy with God for what it is. Where, the reason why the prophet here mounts up with wings is because he got immersed in the wonder of waiting. He just mounted. So, this tells me something. To receive is to wait for the Lord, positioning without pushing, expectation without effort. Isaiah 12.3. In fact, John 7.38. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, And when he said that, Jesus at the Feast said that, he was referring to Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The Holy Spirit is in you because he wants you to draw from him. And when we pray, we're giving place to the Holy Spirit to spring up as a well of life. I think realizing that the Holy Spirit lives within us, takes us to one of the most incredible truths about prayer, just absolutely fantastic. When you are born again, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and sets up house in you, if you will, He is not just in you, but you now are in Christ, but not just in Christ as a position, but you are in the fellowship of the Trinity as experience. You are brought within the communion, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Say, so, well, wow, that's really that's really crazy. I, I don't totally get that. Okay, well, let me tell you a story. So um, when we started our church, the gate, two thousand seven, um, we were there for three years. Met downstairs. We couldn't use the upstairs. Finally, twenty ten, we gutted the upstairs and built our our little worship uh, worship center. It's about three hundred fifty people. Um. And and our our prayer leader and m- my associate pastor, Aaron, Jeff and Zibby know him. They came to me one day and, and they said, hey, you know, could we get everybody together, the elders and board members and, and staff, can we just get together and, and, and pray for the next three Monday nights? I said, I, I'm all in. I'd love that. Let's pray. I'm all for prayer. So, we, 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 we got together and <clears throat> we prayed. Now, what was interesting is that we didn't have an agenda. It's, oh, it's good to have an agenda, so don't hear me wrong on this. I'm just giving you my experience. What we did is we got in a circle, and we didn't start with a worship song. We just got in a circle, and and people just went around the circle and started praying, just whatever. We weren't there praying for the church or praying for the city or praying for the lost. We, we Now, those prayers came out, but we weren't really aimed on anything. Then what would happen is um, we... Kind of go for about 15 minutes, then somebody would pray something, and we'd all recognize it. Oh, sizzle on that one, and then everybody would go boom, like for like two or three minutes. You know, cool. And then it just all settled down. Then we were back to popcorn. You know, and then somebody else would kind of pray something that just resonated with everybody. Ah, and then we went after it. That was really cool. And I had never quite experienced something exactly like that. So we did that three Monday nights. We had Christmas holiday. We came back to the first of the year, and and I said, you know that was pretty cool. Let's just do this for a while every other week. So, for the next nine months, we did that. And I, by like the second or third month, I was absolutely taken with what was going on. I said, God, I have felt lots of aspects of Your presence when we worship. I felt Your healing presence. I felt all aspects of Your presence, but there's something about what I'm experiencing here that I haven't felt in about 20 years. There is a… there is a… a a rest and a love and a communion with these saints that really blew my mind. I said, God, what is happening? And I felt the Holy Spirit just tell me in that sweet, still, small voice, you're experiencing our communion. You're experiencing the communion of Father, Son, and Spirit. How cool. And I realized that our love for each other as a leadership team had fast-tracked quickly. I mean, we loved each other, but, you know, we also had things we had to work through. Suddenly, after those first couple of months, we thought, why do I feel so good about you? Because we had been praying together. But it wasn't just, you know, those who pray together stay together. It was more than just a little slogan. It was because in prayer we were entering into the life exchange in our way of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, we know that there is constant life that flows between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a fancy word called perichoresis. Don't worry about that word. It just means that the Father, Son, and Spirit are in one another. They have been eternally in, with, in, in perfect in-ness with each other. That's why we can speak of one God. But it's this, it's this perfect, unbroken communion of life. Well, in our imperfection, in our, in our humanness, in our fallibility, I think prayer is the way we taste that right now. Mm-hmm. We taste the life going on within the three. So what was happening is we were praying, without even realizing it, we were entering into this sort of flow of that communion between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it was just igniting love for each other that well, went well beyond just, just building relationship or working issues out or choosing to love. There was, a, there, there was a true sense of an emotion of love rising among that team that came or was fast-tracked, I would say, because we prayed together. What you're going to be doing this year, you know, getting on those Zoom things, those Zoom, I love that technology. And when you get on a Zoom call like that and you're seeing people and you're praying about stuff together, there's something really incredible about that moment. And you're going to sense this growing sense of affection for one another. It's one of the great byproducts of prayer, affection for one another. Prayer is emotionally releasing because we are placing the responsibility for life back into God's hands. One of the cool things about prayer, um, because prayer is like entering into the life flow of the God community, and I I say that in quotes, God is one, He's three, but the, the God communion, is that suddenly every time you pray, you are touching that communion, which means there are no throwaway prayers or meaningless prayers. See, I, I, I for a long time thought, you know, there's a certain preparation for prayer that you had to do all this stuff to actually get to the place where God hears you. He's not going to hear you if you don't. And I, some of that teaching is really good. But I think what had happened to me is that I just thought, I just thought um, a quick five-second prayer Hey, Lord, would you, would you bless Jeff and Zibby today? Was just kind of, ah, oh, that's just human. That just me kind of little prayer. doesn't mean anything. I'm telling you something. Every time you go vertical and you pray, you are touching the life of God. And you know what? That's going to excite you to pray a lot more. Now, you know, I'm just dozens of prayers a day because I know there is no throwaway prayer. You can be sitting at a red light for five minutes on the verge of swearing at the universe because it's so long, and you can pray, and in that moment just a little bit might seem to you like, wow, that's just kind of a prayer. Lord, would you, would, you, would you bless my family? Lord, would you bless my neighborhood? I'm telling you, every simple five-second prayer has meaning because you are entering into the life of God when you pray. That's how we touch it, however imperfectly, uh, imperfectly that is. I'm just saying prayer is the primary way we taste on earth what has been going on for eternity in their communion. Who wouldn't want to pray? Who wouldn't want to just live a life of prayer? Ah, so good. I get excited about stuff like that. So, we, um, let's see, all right, we could bring this in for landing, just, just two or three more thoughts. So um, we read passages like Matthew 7, there's a passage in Luke, I think um, we, we just read it, Luke, Luke, Matthew 7, Luke 11, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, that's what it actually means, as you know, in the original. And we say, okay, well, thank you, God, for everyone who asks, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, don't you think God, being God, the Father in heaven, will give you even more for those who ask Him? So there's no reluctance here on the Father's part to want to give. So why the repetition? Ask and keep on asking. Lord, would you, would, you, would, you, would you heal my friend who has cancer? Lord, would you heal my friend who has cancer? Lord, I'm believing for healing for my friend who has cancer. And that goes on for days. We think, you know, what's up with that? If, if, if God's going to heal him, heal him. You know, we've, we've, attra- we've, we've connected prayer to results for so long that when we don't get the results, it demotivates us to pray. I, I want you to see something here that I think is, for me, has been really helpful. Because I think we have connected uh, repetition to results and we just keep praying and keep praying and we don't see results. Then why keep praying, or we, we flag in our repetitive prayers. No, there's nothing wrong with repetitive prayers. Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking. Why? Because you're reluctant to give? No, I'm, there's something I'm doing in the asking and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Well, why can't you do it now? Because I'm doing something bigger and larger than you think. I suggest that Jesus calls us to ask and keep on asking, not because God is reluctant to answer, there's something about the ways of God in repeated prayer that is really, really freeing. So, if you take this story, of who has a friend, you know, has a friend come up midnight and he goes to his other friend, knocks on the door, he keeps pounding the door, I need some bread for my friend. Uh, same idea uh, in the widow story in uh, Luke 18, where the widow is bound in the door. In her case, it's unjust. by the way, she's, she's bound in the door and repeating her prayer because of injustice. I love this. You have freedom from God to complain, not just lament. There are lament psalms, and there are complaint psalms. Aren't you grateful for that? <laughs> now, there's a way to complain and not complain, but, the, but, but, but I just love it, the fact that Jesus gives the rationale for the widow's rep- r- repetitive prayer, not faith, but the sense of victimization. That's what propels her, and Jesus is sanctioning that if you feel and justice that you can keep going back to God and he welcomes that repetition. In the friend with the friend going back asking for bread, the friend is desperate. So in a way their persistence was based in desperation. That takes us back to helplessness. Genuine desperation points to a true realization of need of helplessness. This is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified, and, and we walk in that place of, of daily crucifixion by embracing weakness. And at the point we are embracing weakness, we're actually raised, because when I embrace weakness, then I am truly in a mindset, a posture to depend. And it's as I depend that the joy of the Lord actually starts governing my attitudes. Yeah. So, in a way, desperation is the fruit of our resurrection status. It is precisely acknowledging our weakness that takes all the way back to intimacy with God. The purpose for helplessness is not to make you and I feel like worms. The purpose of the cross, one of the purposes of the cross, and the purpose of walking in the cross, walking in weakness, is so that we would constantly be cultivating intimacy with God. To the degree that I depend on the Holy Spirit, to that degree I am cultivating intimacy with God, but I only depend on the Holy Spirit when I've stopped trying to depend on the Holy Spirit and just, as I said before, depend on the Holy Spirit to help me to depend on the Holy Spirit. That is a place of such utter weakness, but at that place of utter weakness, that's where intimacy is cultivated. So. To skip a lot of lines of logic here and just kind of cut to the chase. When we find ourselves repeating a prayer, Lord, would you, I, I'm believing for my son. I'm believing for my daughter. I'm believing for this. I'm believing for that. It's not God's reluctance to answer your prayer. There are timing issues. Yeah, there are times that He wants to answer that prayer that is going to be the best for everybody, including you. But much of what happens in the repeated prayers is, is the, the reliance, the dependence, the intertwining of your heart with God's heart in that process. And that the repetition is not vain repetition at all. It is unto a deepening of intimacy in, in that place. It is, it is, I mean, there's a suffering when you're dealing with unanswered prayer because you'd rather have answers. But suddenly, you're kind of like Jacob wrestling the angel. I think with Jacob, what happened You know, Jacob's wrestling with the angel. The reason he didn't give up because he stopped trying to win the fight. He knew he wasn't going to win. So when you know you're not going to win, don't you give up? No. Jacob said, no, 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 I get it now. It's about three in the morning. been wrestling here for four hours. This is not about winning the match. I'm not going to win, but I ain't going to stop wrestling because now I am receiving life in the wrestle. The very wrestling was life-giving to him. Walking with God in your suffering. Well, it's interesting that um, one of the most intimate passages related to prayer is that passage in Romans chapter 8. I think verse 15, we've received the Spirit whereby we cry, what? Abba. Abba, Father, right? And uh, I, you know, uh, for a long time, you have too, I'm sure, have just associated that passage and others like it with, with intimacy, with, with Papa God. Oh, I'm His child. My Papa. love that. Um, but this, this, this Abba cry was like a foundational to the spirituality of the first church. The Abba cry was central to them. Where did that cry come from? Abba, Father, did not come from a cozy moment of any believer or especially Jesus with His Father. The Abba cry was uttered in Gethsemane at the point of intense suffering. Abba, Father, if it be possible. In other words, the Holy Spirit in us that brings us into that place of intimacy, that Abba, Father, orientation, is rooted in deep pain and suffering, not rooted in uh, a cozy familiarity as a child would have with his or her papa. I'm not saying that that's not there. Just saying that the root of the Abba cry is rooted in one of the most intense episodes of pain ever registered in human history, Jesus, Son of God, perfect Son of God, sweating drops of blood. That became the foundation, I think, of so much of the spiritual life of the early church because they found in that cry, Abba, Father, permission to um, not try to overcome suffering, not try to overcome the emotion, but simply offer it, walk with it, but walk with it with Jesus. Mm. See, we think that victory in prayer is when we overcome the emotion that traps us. It's not about trying to overcome your anxiety with peace. It's about being so dependent that you be anxious for nothing, but all things prayer and supplication. It's about, all right, Lord, here's my anxiety. I give it to you. I, I, yeah, thank you, Lord. I receive peace. And two minutes later, oh, here's my anxiety. And we say, well, you see, you didn't overcome. Of course you overcame. That's the point. You know, you start, you'll do that 30 times a day. Look at how much time you prayed. <laughs> it's not about trying to get over the suffering or getting over the pain. It's about walking with Jesus in the pain and letting Him take care of it and not feeling like you're defeated just because you still feel anxious or still feel at this peace or still feel hurt or still feel afraid. No, that real dependence is, is, is the freedom from having to resolve your own emotional needs. And prayer is an opportunity for you to ignore your needs, not try to fix them. Jesus, God is your ultimate distraction. We go to God, God, would you take care of my needs? Oh, oh, you want me to first do a 180 and look at you so I get my gaze off my needs? Oh, He's the ultimate distraction. Mm. As we approach the table, I just pray that today something of a fresh appetite for prayer has ignited in your heart. Father, may you grace and bless Clear River, this congregation, Lord, that um, they have not known it, but we've walked together quite a while. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would um, strengthen this family, especially as they embark on this prayer journey. In Jesus' name, amen.